The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. listening to Radio Maria and this is our Diving Deeper program. Now this evening we have, we're very privileged actually, to have Derek Williams on this evening who will be talking about the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So Derek, welcome. Thank you so much. It's always one of my favourite things in life to talk on Radio Maria. Absolutely love it. We love having you. <laughs> well, <laughs> mutual love. <laughs> there we go. So can I hand it over to you? You certainly can. Excuse me. So good evening, listeners, and welcome to this show uh, on the vigil of the exaltation of the cross. One of the options of readings for the feast tomorrow is from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. So I'm going to go through this reading. It's the first reading for tomorrow. Actually, it's the only reading because there's this reading, the psalm, and then the gospel. So it's from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. From, I'm going from verse 4. From Mount Hall, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people kept, and the people became impatient on the way. Now, I'm sorry, but something amusing has just come straight to me, which I've never noticed in the Bible before. They went around the land of Edom, and I immediately thought of the cheese and thought, why are they avoiding delicious cheese when they're in the middle of the desert? So I'm sorry, but that was just one of those really random, weird things that just popped into my head. Um, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The worthless food is the manna, which God gives him in the morning, and the quail, which comes in the evening. Okay, so I'll, okay, I'll finish off. There's so many thoughts that come to my mind when I'm reading this, but I'm going to finish the reading. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many sons of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it up as a sign, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and set it up as a sign. And if a serpent bit any man, he would look at the bronze serpent, 
and live. <clears throat> so this would be the reading for at the feast tomorrow at Mass. If you've been to a vigil Mass for the exaltation, then you would have heard this already. I don't know if there are vigil Masses for it, actually, but if, you, if there is, then there you go. Um, the Gospel reading is from St. John, where Jesus talks about, just as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be raised up. So Jesus draws a parallel between him being crucified and the serpent on the um on that Moses has to raise up now there's an extraordinary thing straight away Jesus actually comparing himself to the serpent so we have a real powerful sign of contradiction but let's go through the reading a little bit first of all the people are complaining why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness now, when I talk to people about, you know, I'm an evangelist. I'm out there in traveling around. At the moment, I'm actually in Romania, in the village of Timisoara, in the west of Romania, giving a retreat in a Greek Catholic parish, which is an extraordinary experience where they have both the Latin Rite Mass and the Byzantine Rite Mass. And then I'm getting lots of very encouraging comments about the retreats I'm giving to this parish. I'm here till um, Sunday. And the reason I'm here is it's because it's the, I think it's the 15th year where they've had perpetual adoration in the parish. So they've had perpetual adoration 24-7 for 15 years in a beautiful little chapel directly underneath the church. And so I'm spending quite a bit of time in perpetual adoration preparing my teachings before I go into the church to deliver them, which happens twice a day. One teaching in the morning after the morning mass, one teaching in the evening after the evening mass. And the people are getting very animated and excited by it all. <clears throat> now, in this journey that I'm on of traveling around, evangelizing, everywhere I go, and it happened tonight, people grab hold of me and they have a cacophony of questions which often border on their spiritual journey. And this, this is where people are struggling. They're wanting to draw into a deeper relationship with God for themselves and their families, but they feel a little bit lost at sea. There's a, a bitterness sometimes, a suffering. A, sometimes a God is at a distance, maybe. Maybe they're reflecting upon an earlier consolation, you know, a, a moment in their life when they felt God was really present in a particular fashion. And it was a consoling experience, a nice experience. And it was fleeting. It may have lasted for 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, a day, maybe even a week. But, you know, in comparison with their life, a week is very fleeting and it's gone. It's a memory. And now they're confronted with a prayer life, which isn't necessarily what they would like it to be, or a spiritual life in general, which seems to be floundering. Well, there were the Israelites. You've brought us to die in this wilderness. And we loathe this worthless food. You know, Lord, we're in a desert spiritually. And the food that we have, the Bible, which can be very, very 
tough to digest. The teaching of the church, which is sometimes really hard for us. Um, and they're complaining about it, which we can have a tendency to complain about it. We can complain about what's going on in the church at the moment. And the counsel here is that God hasn't brought you out of Egypt to die. He's brought you out of Egypt to give to bring you fully alive. And he's working in your soul constantly. There is no time when God is not at work in your soul. And when we feel like there is a, a bitterness that is within the soul, well, this bitterness um, can actually betray something else. We might think that the bitterness that is within us um, is, is literally that. It is bitterness, and it's not going to get any better. Now, the... Hebrew word for Mary, remember you're listening to Radio Maria, um, the word, the root word for Mary, Mara, means bitterness. That is quite literally what the word means. Um, and I was doing a little retreat on the grace of the incarnation as the grace of the mystical incarnation by a beautiful south american saint um called conchita and she was feeling this acute bitterness so let me read something out from this retreat <clears throat> this is um archbishop martinez preaching just to conchita Every year, especially during your retreat, he expands your soul and suffuses it with more love and suffering. When the soul expands and the creature disappears, one is further transformed into Jesus. The soul dies to itself and lets Jesus live in it. You are aware of the divine action, but you are unaware of the magnitude of its effects. You know that God has visited you, that his glory passed near you, as Moses felt it pass by him on the top of the mountain. You hear his words of life and feel his ineffable outpourings. You know that the fire, the fire descended from heaven because your heart burns and seems to break due to the crackling flames of divine love. Yet you seem to be unaware that your soul has been expanded, your spirit transformed, and your heart enveloped in flames. The only effect that you recognize is the fact that the ocean of bitterness you carry within you has grown, but you hardly understand the divine effects because the quality of this divine bitterness, its profound meaning and divine essence escape you. There is love deep down in this bitterness which grows each year. It is Jesus who unites himself to you more closely in every retreat and dwells 
in you in a more ineffable way. Now, I'm going to pause there and see if we have a beautiful hymn to listen to as we process that beautiful reading from Conchita's retreat. We do indeed. We have When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by the Choir of King's College, Cambridge. And that was When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by the Choir of King's College, Cambridge. And you are listening to Diving Deeper with 
Derek Williams talking about the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Over to you, Derek. Thank you so much. So I was talking about the worthless food, which is actually the manna, if you like. And we see it now as the Eucharist. And consequently, the Lord's justice um, emerges and he sends fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. Now, in commentaries on this fiery serpent, they apparently were called fiery serpents because when they bit the people, the area which was bit blazed. The venom of the snakes caused a fire in the veins. And obviously the venom was um, poisonous and many people died. So the people, instead of then complaining more to God, which many people do when they encounter the justice of God, the, the Israelites recognize we have sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you, now, this is very, very important. I just want to point this out. Okay. This is really important. This is actually a little something I have at the moment, and I'm not on my own. Um, Moses is the leader appointed by God to be so, and the people have spoken out against God and against Moses, the leader. And we have this in the church at the moment where people are speaking out against God and against the Pope. And it's a caution. Be careful. You know, um, King David, when he was offered the opportunity to kill King Saul, said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Do not raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. He is God's chosen man. And the Israelites themselves had the good grace to repent of having spoken out against God and Moses. And that brought out the mercy of God. And they said to Moses, pray to the Lord that he may take the serpents from us. So even though Moses had been under attack, in all of his humility, he prayed for the people who had attacked us. And the Lord gave him simple guidance. Make a fiery serpent. So make an image of the very things that is killing these people and sets it up as a sign. So put it on a kind of like a standard, a pole. And all you have to do is look at it and the people shall live. So it's a miracle. It's an out and out miracle. You know, we get bitten by a snake. No one's gonna, you know, it's not like your normal medical advice. You know, oh, okay, God says if the people get bit by a serpent, we just have to suck out the venom from the, from the veins and we're okay. No, no, that's medical advice. That's, that would be normal. God doesn't do, God doesn't always do normal. Sometimes he does. Okay, let me just qualify that. <laughs> Keep myself in safe territory. But God often, but God also does supernatural power. And in this case, he's saying to the people, saying to Moses, just raise up a bronze serpent, an image of the very thing that's killing the people. And anyone who gazes upon it will live. So how does this relate to Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus is the sign of sin. 
he, you look at Jesus on the cross, you look at this dead body, completely, well, if you're looking at The Passion of the Christ, one of the most beautiful films ever made about the Passion about Christ by Mel Gibson, and it, it showed Jesus utterly brutalized, but it didn't show enough, because it says in the Bible, they counted all my bones. So every, so the bones of Jesus were exposed on the cross, the very bones, the skin had been so stripped off him that they could count his bones. That's how bad it was. This is sin. Jesus is revealing to us the extent of sin. So the serpent on the cross, think about it, the serpent. The serpent is the source of the sin, if you like, from the Garden of Eden. He's the one who seduced Eve. And, and God uses that image and says, look, you look at the sign of sin and you will live. And Jesus is there on the cross. The dead Jesus on the cross is a sign of sin because sin kills. Yeah, that's it. Sin kills. The, the letter John in his first letter says there is a sin which leads to death. Mortal sin. The church has actually defined it. There is a sin which leads to death. And you look around our society at the moment, and that kind of sin which leads to death is, is actually really promoted. You know, we, we, our society, our secular culture strongly promotes abortion, strongly promotes contraception, strongly promotes sin that leads to death. Often sins of the flesh, pornography is rife. Sin that leads to death. The bond serpent, the serpent that's biting the people, is alive and active. And people are being bitten left, right and centre. And the only solution is to look at the sign of sin on the cross. And the sign of sin on the cross is the dead man. The dead man on the cross. Because that is what sin does. It kills you. It completely wipes you out. It completely strips you of all your dignity. This is what sin does. And that's what Jesus is on the cross. He is the sign of the serpent on the cross. He is the dead body on the cross. Now, when we look at John chapter 19, and I'm just flicking through my Bible here, and I'm thinking to myself, I was here just before I started the show. Why didn't I put a marker in? Um, so there you go. Um, John 19.37, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. So it's like a, it's like a, a fulfillment of the book of Numbers, where you, you just have to look at the serpent on the cross, and you'll be healed from the effects of the serpents that are biting you. You literally just have to look at it. Now, it's the same here. If we contemplate the crucified Jesus, it can bring great healing to the soul. We look upon the one whom we have pierced. We look upon Jesus, exalted on a cross, and gazing upon it, gazing upon the face of Jesus, can bring immense healing to the soul. And as I'm actually speaking this, I actually have the crucifix that I hold when I stand up and preach the gospel. I always hold a crucifix. And I'm looking at the one, which is a Benedictine one, and I'm looking at Jesus dead on the cross. And I don't actually look at this crucifix very often because I'm normally holding it, and I've normally got it raised up for other people to look at it. 
So now I'm actually looking at it and I'm thinking about John's words and thinking, oh my goodness, I don't actually look at this very often. <laughs> I don't actually gaze upon the, the, the cross very often. Um, but it's the, the word of God is saying to us, you know, if we look at this, if we gaze upon this, great healing can come to the soul. And this is the, this is actually, if you like, the source of our healing. This is Jesus on the cross giving his body and blood, the Eucharist, to us, which, you know, tomorrow you're going to be at Mass. I should think most, it, pretty much everyone who's listening to this is going to be at Mass, and you're going to be receiving the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice made on the cross for you, within which is healing. Lord, only speak the word and my soul shall be healed. And that's precisely what God wants to do. He wants to bring great healing into your life, deeply into your soul, so that you can enjoy a beautiful communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to check with the studio, see if we have our second one laid up ready, which is by, if so, it's by uh, Lauren Daigle, a sensational worshipper of Jesus, sings the most beautiful worship songs, big fan. Um, and if so, then just um, listen in and enjoy. Let this song minister to you. Yes, this is um, Love Like This by Lauren Daigle. That was Love Like This by Lauren Daigle. And you are listening to Diving Deeper on Radio Maria. And we have Derek Williams with us this evening talking about the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So welcome back, Derek. Thank you very much, Karen. And um, oh, don't you just love the passion of these worshippers you know i'm i'm I, I confess i'm a huge fan of these contemporary worship leaders like hill songs carrie job lauren daigle bethel because i think that their 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 passion in praising jesus when they're singing their songs you just can't beat it and i often sit at home in front of the television, watching the YouTube videos. Sometimes when I'm really jaded after a mission, I might do it on Monday when I finish here, but I'm really out of it after a mission. I just sit there and sometimes I just sit there in tears as the songs minister to me one after the other. And sometimes you just let them play because you know what YouTube is like. You can just let one play and then it pings the next one, then the next one, then the next one. And you just think, oh my gosh, these are so ministering to me. And I can be there for hours. And I remember once, you know, my wife walking in on me with this song blasting out on the television, um, Oceans or something like that from Hill Songs. 
and uh, and my wife sort of walks in on me and just sees me with my you know tears streaming down my face and she just thinks she just looks at me and thinks nothing i can say here and turns around and walks out and just leaves me to it <laughs> i just think and then my little boy with down syndrome sammy sammy he's 17 he's gorgeous and he'll walk in and he'll he'll sort of come up to me and give me a hug and say it's all gonna be okay daddy it's all gonna be okay which is sammy's signature phrase you know whenever something looks like it's going wrong there's an emotional happening he'll always give either me or one of his sisters a big hug and say it's all gonna be okay and we actually crease up over this it's such a beautiful way that sammy imparts his um his lovely little way um, half an hour later, of course, you can be having a king-size tantrum and be really annoying. But <laughs> at that moment, he's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So I've now got open in front of me John chapter 19. So we've, we've moved away from the, um, the book of Numbers. We're looking at the cross, John 19, verse 18. They crucified him, Jesus and with him two others one on either side jesus between them so john is very clear he's seeing this pilate also was a title he puts it on the cross and it read jesus of nazareth the king of the jews this was written in hebrew latin and greek and the chief priests of the jews were not happy with this and said to pilate do not write the king of the jews but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, while I have written, I have written. In my footnotes, it's about the inscription, says, his spiritual kingship is especially revealed from the throne of the cross, whence he redeemed the world. While I have written, I have written. The title was a board that specified the crime for which the condemned prisoner was being executed. The prisoner would normally wear it around his neck as he carried his cross, and then it would be nailed above his head once he was hung on the cross. Pilate had handed down the sentence based on the accusation that Christ was king of the Jews and would not change the official sentence at that time. Quoting from Catechism Article 440, why were the Jews so offended by Jesus being called Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and Pilate writing it? If you've got a crucifix in your home, the chances are it's going to have a, a, a little scroll on the, above the head of Christ with four letters, I-N-R-I. Now, when I did the Covenant series, I explained this, but I'm going to explain it once more to you tonight. If you were to transpose those Latin letters for Hebrew letters, you'd get something very, very different. Where it says Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the Hebrew is these four words. Yeshua. Hanazari. Vamelech Hayehudim. Those four words begin with the letters Y 
H-W-H. If you tapped those words onto a cross, you'd have Yahweh, which is quite extraordinary. So Yahweh is crucified. Now, if you just isolate that to John 19, you could probably make an argument against it. But if you take the, the, the Gospel of John in its fullness, Jesus is constantly calling himself Yahweh. In Moses 3, in Exodus 3, Jesus as the Logos reveals himself to Moses. I am who I am. And says to the people of, of Israel, I am has sent me. I am. Now pop that into John's Gospel. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. Every time Jesus is calling himself, in Greek, ego, amy, I am. In Hebrew, Yahweh. Constant, he's saying, Yahweh. And then even his name, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. So when Pilate writes down the cross, he's basically crucifying Yahweh. You have to really, <laughs> just looking at the presenter on video as I'm teaching this, and she's pulling the most beautiful faces. And I'm thinking about you, the listener, and thinking, can you grasp this? Can you ponder it? Sometimes when Jesus reveals these truths to us, we have to take a moment to ponder, to take it into our hearts and to own it, and to realize that for 2,000 years, the church has given us Inri, because it's Latin. But now we look at Hebrew, and we have Yahweh. And people can't, can't grasp them, they can't get their heads around it. Jesus is Yahweh? Yes, Jesus is Yahweh. It wasn't the Father appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai, it was the pre-incarnate, Jesus, the Logos, who is revealing himself as Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. We really need to get that. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. If we can get that, it will. It could transform our relationship with Jesus because then we realize that actually Jesus is the one who is speaking to us all the way from Genesis to Revelation, not just from Matthew to Revelation. And Yahweh, tomorrow we will celebrate the exaltation of Yahweh being crucified for the sins of the world. Now I'm going to see if we have another song from our studio we do and this one is called adoration by brenton brown us adoring the greatness of who god is everything you've made resounds all creation standing now lifting up your name 
and that was Adoration by Brenton Brown. And you were listening to Diving Deeper on Radio Maria. And we have this evening with us uh, Derek Williams, who's talking about the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Karen. So I'm now going back to Conchita's reflection. This is Blessed Conchita de Amadia, the one that's said to be the greatest Mexican mystic that ever lived. And this retreat was conducted around the year 1933, 30-day retreat. And she's writing her reflections, personal reflection of Conchita on the fifth day. And she's saying, I'm unable to explain this. It was penitent, petition, lesson, confidence. And then in the chapel, he expanded on it saying, and now this is Jesus speaking to Conchita. I suffered the passion in my body, rejoicing in the suffering for the sublime goal of the glory of my father. Now I'm just going to read the next bit. In fact, expiation was a joy to me, not only because it wipes away the sins of the world, but also because it glorifies my father, which is the highest goal. And again, the glory of my father accomplished by my sacrifice and by all who sacrifice themselves in union with me is not understood in the world. Again, was not all my suffering sweetened when it had the glory of my father as its loving goal? And again, and what is the glory of my father? <laughs> so, what we don't necessarily realize, and I'm looking at my crucifix again, is that the primary purpose for the incarnation, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for salvation. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is for the glory of the Father. Jesus came to earth for the primary purpose to do what we had failed to do, to glorify the Father, to give the Father perfect glory. Now, here's the difficult bit. His passion, the sufferings, the death, the shedding his blood, glorified his father. Get your head around that bit. Seriously, so that's a call. That's a difficult call. How does this glorify the father? But that is exactly it. Even in earlier in John's Gospel, when the Greeks approach Jesus and approach Philip and say, we want to see Jesus, Jesus' response is, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, to be crucified. You see, for us, glory is, let's say, being on a stage, uh, one of these celebrities receiving all that human glory being seen in shining splendor and radiance of some sort. That for us is glory. In the kingdom, the glory is being crucified, suffering and dying for Jesus Christ, suffering and dying for the glory of the Father. That is glory. It's a complete contradiction of what you see in the world. And that is what he says. 
this glory is not understood in the world. It, it is incomprehensible that God, how is God glorified in his son shedding his blood, suffering, and then dying on the cross? How is the father glorified? Just separate the salvation of men out of the picture because the primary purpose is he did this to glorify the father. That's the primary reason. Then you bring in the secondary reason. He did this for the salvation of you, me, and every person in the history of the world. Okay? So this is, once again, something to process and to ponder. He then says to Conjita, what is the glory of my father? The greatest and most perfect thing that I could offer him on earth was my most perfect praise and my most pure love. Therefore, the flogging, thorns, and sufferings were my delight, because I knew I was glorifying my Father through them. By them, I was atoning for and blotting out what sin had deprived him of. So there's an incredible insight. God was deprived of glory because of sin now one of the one of the latest one of one of the modern mystics in the church has written about this and one of the things she writes is that when we are obliged to give glory to god from the moment of our conception until the day we die and because we don't give god that perfect glory then there is a void in the glory owed to god by us so when jesus comes he has to restore this glory that's owed to his father and the way he does it is by providing a remedy for sin satisfying god's justice in his suffering and his death on the cross he satisfies the justice owed by sin and he gives God the glory by, by providing the ultimate solution for sin so that man could be once again united to God, which is our vocation in life. Our primary vocation is our union with God and our secondary vocation, if you like, is to those of us who are married, to our spouses, those of us who are ordained as priests, etc. That's our secondary vocation, our primary vocation, to give God the most perfect glory. Now, I'm going to just check with the student in case anybody has been calling in or checking the phones, because if they haven't, then I have, a say, I have an option if they haven't. But I just want to check. Well, we haven't had any calls, actually, and um, we're coming towards the end of our time here anyway, I think. So, Got about five minutes left minutes. or three minutes left? Yeah, about three, yeah. Three, fine. Yeah. So what I want to do, if it's okay with you, Karen, is I want to pray for the listeners. That would be lovely. Okay, and just to share with you one little thing with listeners. On the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, I think it was on this feast that Sir Edmund Hillary was got to the top of Everest. And... On the top of Everest, the first man to conquer Everest, apparently, um, he took with him a set of rosary beads, which had been blessed 
by, I think, Pope Pius XII was the Pope at the time. So he'd gone to the Pope, the Pope had given him the rosary beads, blessed them, and Sir Edmund Hillary left them on top of Mount Everest on this feast day. So there is a set of rosary beads with the crucifix on the highest point of planet Earth. How about that one? So let's exalt the cross. I'm holding my crucifix in my hand, read listeners. I'm holding it over you. And I'm praying for you. And I'm praying, dearest Mother Mary, who stood at the foot of the cross and saw your son crucified for the glory of the Father, willingly. And you who became the mediatrix of all graces, and now this beautiful radio station is named after you. So we ask you, dearest Mother Mary, to please pour out healing graces into the souls of everyone listening. I pray particularly for the interior graces of healing, for people who have suffered trauma in their lives, people who have been abused, people who have been bullied, people who have been um, psychologically, emotionally, physically, sexually abused. And I pray, Blessed Mother, that you would visit their soul, visit their heart, that you would touch them, and that you would take the cross of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, touch their hearts with the cross, and bring healing to them. Set them free from the evil that has been visited upon them. And bring them peace. Let them know the love of God, sometimes maybe for the first time in their lives, let them know, really know, deep in their hearts, that they are loved. And I, I make my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That was beautiful. Thank you very much. been lovely to be with you again. And it's lovely to have you on as well. So from sunny Romania, I say good night to everyone in England. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless. God bless you. <laughs>